0: Amen. Church, as we uh, gather today, I just want to say thank you again to you for your generosity uh, in blessing our missionaries and indigenous partners. In the video we saw, what a beautiful, uh, what a what a beautiful beautiful confirmation of the reality of God's love in you, expressed. Outwardly in generosity and in kindness to others. Uh, as we gather today as well with our theme of love, I want to invite you to stand as we read from God's Word. In his two ne- New Testament letter to uh, believers in the ancient city of Ephesus, the Apostle Paul writes, saying that he is bowing his knees before the Father, and then he prays this prayer for us as believers. I pray that out of his glorious riches, the Father may strengthen you with power through his Spirit in your inner being so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And I pray that you, being rooted and built up, established in love, may have power together with all the Lord's holy people to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know this love that surpasses knowledge, that you yourselves may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God This is the word of our Lord you may be seated In our time together this morning I'd like us to consider the nature of God's love the immensity of God's love and our response to God's love revealed in Christ And I want to begin with a story about Individuals who were not loved. In February of 1839, Portuguese slave traders abducted a large group of Africans from Sierra Leone, West Africa, in violation of international laws forbidding slave-taking. They shipped them to Havana, Cuba, where plantation owners purchased 53 of these Africans and put them on board a schooner named Amistad, ironically, Friendship, to transport the captives to their Caribbean plantation. But en route, some of the Africans broke free from their shackles, killed the captain, took over the ship, and ordered the plantation owners return us to Africa. The owners steered the ship northward where the Amistad was seized by a U.S. Navy warship. The schooner, its cargo, and all on board were taken to a Connecticut port where the plantation owners were freed and the Africans were imprisoned. The fate of the ship and its captives ended up in federal court as multiple parties vied for ownership of the Amistad and its cargo. Abolitionists appealed for the Africans' freedom. They hired attorneys to plead their case, a case which ended up before the U.S. Supreme Court in 1843 Just two decades before our country descended into civil war. Were these 53 illegally captured Africans property? If so, who would ultimately own them? Or were they rightly free, and by whom or on what basis would they be set free? What would be their fate? The 1997 Steven Spielberg film Amistad probes this story and contains a curious scene. In it, the imprisoned Africans have been given a Bible by abolitionists, a Bible containing illustrations. Though none of them know English, most of them cannot read, one of the men strains to unravel the story about a bearded man who seems to have the light of the sun surrounding his head. In the drawings, the prisoner notes the suffering of people, but that the man heals them with his hands. He protects the weak children are brought to him. The man can somehow walk on the sea, but then the man is taken captive like he and his friends were. The man is killed by being hung on a big stick planted in the ground. His body is taken down from the stick and wrapped in a cloth and put in a cave, but then unexpectedly, Inexplicably, he appears alive again and talks with his friends and then rises up into the sky where souls go after death. So, what are they to make of this bearded man followed by the sun? Who was he? What did he do, why, and what difference does he make to abducted Africans in 1839, or for that matter, to suburban Americans in 2022? Author Dan Walser, who's uh, the son of our former church, church staff members, Jeff and Joe Walser, writes in a book entitled To Make a Life of a Series of Dramatic Losses that he and his wife personally experienced, including a stillborn baby. Dan describes the pain and isolation of deep grief as like being trapped upstairs, tied in a chair in a house that's burning down. Outside, people are running with hoses and ladders and trying to make it better, but I'm still trapped inside in my agony. In reading this, songwriter Krista Wells pondered how all of us struggle to come alongside others in their suffering. I don't know if it's just me, but I don't often find it easy to visit in a hospital room where there's bad news, or to sit in a nursing care facility where there's no hope for a cure. Krista writes in the song Come Close Now I'm afraid of the space where you suffer, where you sit in the smoke and the burn. I can't handle the choke. Or the danger of my own foolish, inadequate words. I'll be right outside if you need me. I'll be right outside. Because what can I bring to your fire? Shall I sing while the roof is coming down? Can I hold you while the flames grow higher? Shall I brave the heat and come close with you now? Can I come close now? Friends, God came close to us in Jesus. God came close to us in Jesus in our fire. The Gospel of John tells us that the Word took on flesh, that God became human and moved into our neighborhood. And just perhaps, if we ponder it, this coming close makes all the difference in the world. In thinking about the Incarnation over the years, I've been struck by a particular story that I heard in my early 20s. I'm sorry I can't credit the the author, but the story story was about the final judgment. The author wrote something along these lines, and so it came the great day of judgment when all humanity was gathered before the majestic throne. People of all ages and nations, rich and poor, privileged and powerless, noble and notorious were summoned to hear their fates. The vast sea of people stood in silence as the Almighty was seated and the books were opened. And there was a long, dramatic hush. Broken by a lone whisper. Somewhere in the crowd, a voice murmured, It's not fair. It's not fair. You don't know. You don't know what it's like to be weak. A second voice called out, What do you know about struggling in poverty or what it's like to be an oppressed minority or to live under a military regime? Other voices joined in. Were you ever homeless or a refugee? Did anyone ever hate you without a cause? Have you ever been betrayed or had your friends abandon you in your darkest hour? When were you ever falsely accused and arrested under a corrupt system? What would you do if others spit in your face and beat you and abused you? Who are you to judge us? You don't know what it's like to be us. It was to be the great day of the judgment of humanity, but it had all been turned upside down as the people were judging God. But then silently, Jesus stepped forward and stood before humanity and simply extended his hands Exposing his scars. And it became indisputable that in Christ, God not merely came close, he became us. And experienced every grief and injustice we know too well. The prophet Isaiah wrote seven centuries before Christ's birth, even kings will shut their mouths in awe of the Messiah's suffering and sacrifice for us. I want to pull up these verses from the book of Isaiah and in silence invite you to consider them. From Isaiah fifty three A question If there is an infinite all knowing creator. Why would our Maker choose to enter limitation and mortality? Why would one who is all powerful submit to such injustice and suffering? What could be the motivation of such an extraordinary expression of solidarity and sacrifice? My wife, Kelly, likes to watch the classic Christmas movies. The other night, White Christmas was on, and in it, Bing Crosby quips, everybody's got an angle, everybody's got an angle. Something they want, something they're maneuvering and conspiring toward for their own motivations. The Gospel of John peels back the curtain on our Creator's angle. Would you stand and read together with me this familiar Scripture that often gets referenced in NFL stadiums? Let's read together. For God so loved the world... That he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Let may be seated. That's, first, uh, that's the Gospel of John 3.16, and the letter of John First uh, John 3.16, we read, this is how we know what love is, that Jesus laid down his life for us. This is love redefined. This is love given a whole new meaning. The Apostle Paul concurs. He says, uh, when we were still powerless, Christ died for us, who are ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, someone might possibly lay down their life. But God demonstrates, makes uh, unmistakable, God proves his love for us in this, while we were still against him. Christ died for us. This is the nature of God's love. To come close. To enter in. To risk. As Jesus says, recorded in the Gospel of Mark, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve. And to lay down his life as a ransom. So the Apostle Paul prays, He he prays for us saying, I pray that you, being rooted and established in love, may have power alongside all of God's people to grasp uh, the dimensions of the love of Christ and to know this love that is beyond philosophy or information or knowledge or mere words. I love how the Psalms extol The love of God. At Thanksgiving time, members of our Arabic group gathered and we poured through these Psalms, Psalm 100, Psalm 107, and reflected on how God's love reaches out to us and and we should rejoice, we should give thanks for that. Psalm 100 shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations from one to the next. Give thanks to the Lord, Psalm 107, for he is good. Repeating the refrain, his love endures forever. Let the redeemed, let those who've been rescued by God tell their story those he's gathered from east and west and north and south. Give thanks to the Lord for his unfailing love and his wonderful deeds to humanity. Psalm 107 ends with this injunction, Let the person who is wise ponder the loving deeds of the Lord. A Lord, uh, a, a love that endures through all generations, that stretches across boundaries and cultures, to gather home people to Himself. How this love came to us vulnerably, as a tender baby, born in a box where cows get their feed. How lofty and noble is this love. How wide, how indiscriminately this love reaches. How continuous and reliable, like light radiating from the sun, is this love. How profound, how deep is this love that comes to sit with us in the worst of our pits. This is a love beyond philosophy or platitudes, a love that seeks to win us over. I I love the, um, the artist, the songwriter, Margaret Becker, and her album, Soul Tattoo. In it, she writes, No one ever gave me a love so fine that gently heals my heart one piece at a time. It takes each jagged edge and every crooked line and smooths them to life. No one ever gave me a love so sweet that tips my heart to drink when I'm fainting from the heat, that wraps my aching wounds in strips of mercy so tenderly. Is there anyone who can compare? In the album, she continues with these words. The finest love I have ever known was like a pearl that many dream they'll find. Oh, what joy when I held that love and realized it could be mine. So I gave all I owned just to make it mine. Napoleon Bonaparte, the emperor of France, near the end of his life in exile, reflected on this love. And he wrote these words. Across a chasm of 1,800 years, Jesus Christ makes a demand which is beyond all others difficult to satisfy. He asks for that which a father may seek in vain from his children, or a bride may seek in vain of her spouse, or a man of his brother. He asks for your heart. He will have it entirely to himself. He demands it unconditionally and remarkably, forthwith people surrender. In defiance of time and space, the soul of a person, with all its powers and faculties, becomes an annexation to the empire of Christ. All who sincerely believe in him experience this remarkable supernatural love toward him. Time, the great destroyer, is powerless to extinguish this flame. This is what convinces me that God truly came to us in Jesus. Friends, God's purposeful, loving intent, stretches across the ages and winds through the alleyways of geography and culture right to your door. Revelation 3.20 records the words of Christ saying, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. And if any person will open the door, I will come in and have a banquet with him and he with me. Have you experienced the love of God reaching to you? Knocking on your heart? I remember. Uh, a sophomore in high school when I heard one of those early knocks. Um, I was standing on the corner by the courthouse in our little small town in Ohio. It was snowing out, and it was a a time in history when uh, Christmas carols were unashamedly uh, broadcast in, in public. And I was listening to the speakers from the courthouse broadcasting. Hark the herald angels sing, glory to the newborn King. Peace on earth and mercy mild, God and sinners reconciled. And I felt myself wondering is this true? Can people like me be reconciled with the one who made us? What is our response to God's love revealed in Christ? We've been talking about who is Christ, but I want to ask just briefly another question. Who are you? What do you matter? You know, some things are loved because they're valuable. A gold coin, a new BMW a nice house, a person with good looks and talents that's affirming to us. Some things are loved because they're valuable, but other things are valuable because they are loved. When my kids were little, I remember uh, multiple episodes. This would be illustrative of one of them where I brought my, my toddlers home from the park, and arriving home, we discovered that my son's uh, favorite toy, this uh, raggedy stuffed clown, had been left at the park. And so I told my son, hey, no big deal, doesn't matter. Yeah? No. We piled in the car, we drove to the park, and we searched and we searched and we searched until we found Clowny. Because some things are valuable because they're loved. And that, my friends, is you. The single most important fact about your life is that you are loved by God. The single most important fact about your love uh, about your life is that you are loved by God. A couple months ago in October, Pastor Carlos and I had the privilege of visiting our church's indigenous leaders in Lebanon. Uh, they will also be a recipient of uh, your generosity through a, a grant that will uh, aid the blind. What a joy to meet and to worship together with family in Christ in the Middle, of e- in the Middle East, And during our visit, Carlos and I noticed a hand-carved plaque made by a Syrian Muslim man who had come to faith in Christ. He crafted this plaque to express what Jesus and the cross mean to him. I want you to take a moment to study this picture. Let it soak in. What is it saying? In Christ, God reaches down to us, expressing His love, extending mercy and help, offering to lift us up to Himself. And this is the hand that reaches the furthest. And when we receive his love and forgiveness and and trust him taking his hand, he gives us power to extend goodwill to others. His mercy to us allows us to forgive others their slights and insults and wounds to us, to make peace with those who even act like our enemies. Christ lifts us up to God and brings us together as fellow humans. This man chose as the ayah, the verse at the bottom of this plaque, love never fails. Love never fails. Well, the Apostle Paul has prayed for you. I pray that Christ may come home to live in your hearts through faith and that you might be filled up with the full measure of God's sufficiency and His love. I want to ask you this morning, what is your response to His reach? What is your response to his reach? In these moments of reflection, I want to invite you to to close your eyes for a moment, but to continue to picture the hands in that cross. And I want you to think about that hand reaching down to you. A hand that knows your name, that has come across time and geography to your doorstep, to you. And in this moment, I want to invite you If it's the expression of your heart to physically reach up your hand and take that hand. Saying, Lord, thank you for reaching me in your love. I need mercy. I need help. And I want to love you back and be annexed to your empire. He hears our prayers. Amen. If you have taken that step for the first time this morning, I want to invite you to talk with a friend or talk with someone uh, who's uh, one of our church staff members and talk about that decision to open the door, that decision to take Christ's hand for the first time. And know that if you've taken that step that you are immediately included in those who are invited to the communion table. Now if if you're still thinking about that, keep thinking. Keep pondering. Uh, Hold off on taking communion if you're still considering. But if you have said yes, if you've taken his hand, know that he invites you to his banquet. He invites you to his table. This is not the table of our organized church or an institution. This is the table of the living Lord Jesus Christ. On the night that he was betrayed, Jesus said to his followers, this is my body which will be broken for you. Take, receive the nourishment of the bread. I want to invite you to pause a moment to prepare your heart and then we'll partake of the bread together. Lord, thank you for coming to us in a body like we have and allowing your body to be broken to bring us healing. We take the bread. The same night Jesus held up a cup of wine and said to his disciples, This cup represents my blood which will be poured out for many, many, many people that their sins would be forgiven. He invited all of those at the table take and drink, remembering I won't drink this cup again until I do it in celebration with you when we're home in my father's banquet house. Take the cup. Lord, thank you for your amazing, your great love that reaches even me. Make yourself at home in my life and may your love and presence leak out, extending your love to others through me. That you would be glad and you would be glorified. In Jesus' name, amen.